Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to Social Jello with Angelo podcast, Conversations with the Backfist. If you like what you see, subscribe and share with your friends. Today I'm here with Joseph Bautista Jr. I think I got that introduction through. This will be, was that right? Was that right? You're on. Spot on, brother. Spot on. Nice. So, another name not butchered. Put that in my list. So far, that's five episodes out of 100. (laughs) (laughs) You got room for growth. (laughs) Yeah, I I I got time. Nothing but time. So, Joseph, uh, real quick, if you don't mind introducing yourself, I know you're a Kaja Kembo guy. Um, I know you're coming out of the Bay Area. Um, what's a little bit of your background for anybody watching? Uh, well, rewind first. Um, I'm actually not out of the Bay Area anymore. Um, oh. I left San Francisco Bay Area roughly about six years ago, give or take, and I moved to Arizona. Uh, I now have a school in Chandler, Arizona. And that was, you know, it, t- it took some manifestation of about four years. And about three of those years, I, I was teaching on the side. It, it wasn't, it wasn't something I did all, as Monday through Friday, or that it, it was revolving around that. This is how I made my living. Right. But so, yes, um, I am, uh, I- I'm Joseph Batista Jr. Fourth degree seafood under uh, professor Jeff Makaloloi and Senior Grandmaster, I'm sorry, not Senior, Grandmaster Joseph Batista Sr. and the grandson of Senior Grandmaster Emil Batista. And so the way these episodes work for anybody who's watching, I interview different martial artists from different backgrounds. The last episode I do is on Capoeira. And I always say, <laughs> that's a great way to introduce, I have not the Kaji Kimball podcast. I, know, I do interview a lot of Kaji Kimball guys. And that's because I do Kajigamba. So obviously this is um that's like the that's those are my people, so I interview a lot of them. Um Kajikembo is a martial art that's comes from Hawaii. Uh I'm being being very specific on the wording of this because I did a whole like hour, maybe two hour podcast, which is at the end of this episode, you can click on it. The what is Kajikembo podcast. This is not the Kajikembo podcast. This is not about what is the Kajikemba podcast. This is all about Joseph. So I want to get that out of the way right now. <laughs> so if you're watching, this is your first episode. You want to know more about that. Uh, at the very end of this, you can click to the end of it. There'll be a little thumbnail. You can go and listen to that first if you want to. Or you can just listen to this story, which is going to be pretty cool. For me, anyway. Maybe hopefully for you, too. So, Joseph, how long? Well, let me rephrase that. When did you start training in martial arts? Oh, um, I'm going to be very literal, and it was pretty much right out the womb. And I know there's tons of uh, individuals who embellish or exaggerate. Uh, I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> as soon as I was born, they, my family threw a gi on me uh, because actually – and this is where where it's uh, an interesting scenario. My mother, uh, Maria Caridad Vargas, uh, Maria then Batista, 
uh, when she married my dad, she actually trained in Kaju Kembo, and that's how my parents met. Yeah, if you ask, uh, I, I don't, I believe she's professor or grandmaster now, Tammy Whelan, she'll even say, I introduced your parents. <laughs> Uh, and Grandmaster Mitch Powell, you know, he was actually at my parents' wedding. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, uh, the Kaju Kimball is actually very tightly rooted and neat, knit, uh, bound and wound. Any scenario you can think of, I I've grown up in it. I I I'm a Kaju baby. <laughs> and then I grow up to uh, basically live it as part of my life. <laughs> so basically, I'm a, but if we really want to, like, put the whole training aspect I think around the age of five and six, because it was so, it was a family dynamic for us, there really wasn't any separation or um, against or not promoting the value of, of Kaju Kimbo as a martial art. I learned it right out the gate. Um, and it's been, you know, left and right learning that those movements and i'm also i'm also i'm a southpaw so i've had to learn a lot of our techniques very similar to my grandfather who is a southpaw as well my dad is orthodox he's right-handed and then so is my main instructor professor jeff he's right-handed as well um but professor jeff uh, as well as myself and and it was you know going growing up with him as well he he's a beautiful tactician and he goes, okay, if I if I know how to do this really well on the right, I really need to study it on the left. That way, I know what kind of person I, I, I'm working against. But that also helped me out growing because he was one of my biggest influences when I started training as well. Uh, I believe he was a black belt and crazy dragon, but an orange belt under my dad when I really officially started training. Um, now, I could be slightly wrong on that. He could have been a little bit higher in rank. Uh, mind you, like I said, I was four, five, six years old. My memory in that, those age ranges is not extremely acute. It's more abstract. So um, just what is um, what is Crazy Dragon? Oh, okay. So Crazy Dragon was a group that was formed a long while ago. Um, and it, it, it was a school that was taught openly. Uh, the, the goal was to try to help individuals who were lower in finances and things like that so they can learn Kaju Kimbo. Um, it, it was just a very, very unique group. They, they called themselves Crazy Dragons because they kind of, they went against the grain of a lot of what other people do. You know, most uh, in Kaju Kimbo, we see individuals either wearing a black or a white uniform, right? And some of the crazy dragons would end up wearing a gray one or a white one that was washed with red, so it looked pink. And, and they would, but they they were they were a good group of a very very great successful group of fighters. Uh, there was a lot of individuals that came out of crazy dragons that were well known. You have uh, uh, Satch Williams. You have Professor Jeff. You have uh, another gentleman. Um, uh, uh, Troy Too Cool, Whaley. Um, you know, the, these these individuals are are some of the top tier uh, martial arts fighters, and you know what? That this is how they grew each other. They were the fighters uh, in that era. If, if that kind of elaborated enough on what Crazy Dragon was, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I was just, I'm just trying to see if um, 
I'm just checking if it's if it's because <laughs> just to keep with the story. So these are all Kaja Kimbo guys. Um, yeah. So, and I, I say this, I've said this before on the show. There's there's different types of people that get into martial arts at different times um, for whatever reason. Uh, you have your track of people who were born into family members that have a martial arts background, so you've been doing martial arts for a long time. Then you have the people that come in and do martial arts for other reasons later in their life. Um, what I tend to see is there's a few different types of people that start that are kind of no choice have to do martial arts and the different paths that they take along that path because of it. And there's always a point for these guys where it depends. Some of them are gun ho the whole time, loved it, breathed it the whole time. They're just into it and they no breaks, continue on the path, no problem. Some of them, some of them not so much. Some of them they get to a point where they have to make a decision that this is really what they want to do, and then they keep doing it. And then some of them stop. I've met some people that stop. I've met people that were born in a martial art, did it because their family told them to do it. And then as they got older, they stopped doing it because they decided they didn't want to do it anymore. Obviously, you're not that third person. But actually, oh, okay. Maybe, 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 maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here. Actually, well, it's not that you got ahead of yourself. Uh, I mean, let's for, let, let's first face the, the the reality of martial arts, right? It's a journey. And no journey is one direct line. It, it's not, I'm going to start this path from A and end up in B. In all honesty, we in this from your experience as well, you're nodding your head, so you agree. And anybody else who's probably listening who is a martial artist, it's not one lane it's not one road it's i'm gonna start on the freeway end up on the dirt road um, wow i'm in the trees how did i get in this lake um did this car really drive in the ocean right <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> it's not a one 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 directions path uh around my teenage years uh i i i was going through a lot of personal issues uh family dynamics puberty. And in all honesty, and I'm going to be very transparent here, I, I had a very, very strong addiction to drugs back in those teenage years. And after I started sobering up, my life changed. Uh, and I took a long pause. My pause was from my teenage years, and I did not put on my gi or my belt until around the age of 25, 26, and it was really at the rise of my, my daughter's birth about to start. And it became one of those internal drivers. It was, if I, I really need to be a better father as my daughter is coming into this world. And, if, and how can I tell her that whatever you start, you need to finish. If there's something that's connected to our entire family, and I'm completely disconnected from it. So it became more of an obligation of re-engagement. And I, and I would really like to promote everybody who's listening to stop use, uh, labeling obligation as a burden or as something that's, that's, that weighs you down. And think about all the blessings and the things that you learn uh, out of obligation simply because you were told to do it because you didn't know what would come from it, but the person who is asking that obligation of you knows the benefit. 
And so you are trying to meet that in the middle, but you can't, if you're resistant and you give obligation, that negative connotation that it's a burden. Um, you know, the, we hear about individuals all the time saying, oh, back to the Monday grind. If you have to grind something, anything that you grind by definition wears down. But if you go back to the craft, anything that you do in a craft continues to manifest art. Art so valuable that individuals pay millions and millions of dollars or dedicate their lives to it. So, and it's funny you say about the Monday thing. Um, <clears throat> that's interesting. I, every time I don't work on Mondays, or I do, but I don't see it as work. My, right. official, my official work, because I have a lot of jobs, I, have, I do a lot of different stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm a Renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, outside of podcasting and, and teaching martial arts, my, I would say my main career is I'm an English teacher. So, on Mondays, I do not teach English. On Tuesdays, I do. But the feeling of Monday doesn't hit me on Tuesday. I've never had that. I had that feeling when I was very young. And I, and I, was, I was grinding in a career that I was not happy with. Right. So it took, it took a lot of self-introspection to find that I wanted to do something else. Um, and when I did find that, I no longer had that feeling about Mondays. And even then there was other jobs that weren't the jobs that I wanted. So this wasn't really like, it can be easy to say, oh, this is because you found something that you love to do. I would say I found something I don't hate to do. <laughs> I think I think that's, that's a better description. I know some people love to do their job, that's awesome. I don't love my career, but I don't hate it. So I don't have, a, I don't have that kind of negative feeling about it. Um, you know, and I, I was kind of in the same boat for a long time with Kajikembo. Not nothing against Kajikembo, nothing against everybody that practices it either. Uh, but let's let's go backwards, rewind to the intro. My introduction. I'm a third generation martial artist. My father and my grandfather are huge contributors to our entire Kajikembo family in so many aspects. Now, as you're coming up as a teenager, you have these really, really two big shoes to fill, and you have these really large shadows that are overbearing on top of you. Those were very um, heavy weights for me growing up, and it made it really hard for me to appreciate the the art of Kajikembo, not, not because it wasn't a beautiful art. I mean, at the end of the day, I honestly, and anybody that can, you can disagree with me if you want, and that's totally fine. We can still get a beer later. But I believe Kajikembo is the best martial art for anybody and everybody in this entire world, and not out of superiority, but because it makes the individual well-rounded in experience and knowledge to dictate what their desired craft profession should be onward. If we really look at the best benefit of Kajikembo and superiority, it's not the effectiveness of the craft because that's dependent on the individual, right? And, and at any given day, uh, me and another person, it can be mine or it can be their day. I, 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 we don't have that answer. But what I can say is the etiquettes, the obligations, the family, the, uh, you know, the growth the development and 
the multi-diverse craft that Kajikimbo is, that's where it's the best. Everybody should be doing Kajikimbo at one point in their life to a certain rank and degree. And then, and then they decide what their craft is. It's not much different if we look at the reg regular education system in across the planet. In an education system, the uh, the entire growth of the student in the education system is to give them the basic comprehension of all factors that will equate to their life and how they can contribute to society. Then when they finish their regular education, their general education, they go into the master, their specialty, their skill, their career. And that's why we have, and you, you've had some really great guys that have been near and dear to my heart. You know, um, Ron Estella, my godfather, I'm just going to reference him again. He is hands down one of the best individuals who's taught me how to use knives uh, in, in a, a from his experience to me with many different facets that it makes the most sense. I still to this day use his grappling and knife in play routine, uh, uh, you know, for fun. Um, my godfather taught me a lot of those great things. Uh, Eric Coleman, uh, I think he's a professor now. Professor Eric Coleman, you know, we know him as this beautifully tall and uh, happy-go-lucky gentle giant. Just just don't cross paths with him. Uh, he he inspired me to to practice a little more on Muay Thai and some of my, my kickboxing striking just because I'm like, you're a tall dude. How am I going to get anywhere near you, right? <laughs> uh, so... So that this is more like my philosophy on that uh, of why we want to like and give Kajikumbo that platform that I mean, we were teaching self-defense and the, the easiest connection to self-defense that really makes the most sense to everybody I've been around is if you know how to swim without getting wet, tell me how you can truly learn self-defense without full contact. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um here i have a few i have i wrote a few notes here real quick awesome notes are so, great <laughs> so when when did you well there's a few things there's a, there's a, so there's a side note so you were saying earlier and I, I like what you said you were saying that it's 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 you're comparing it to kind of like general education at school because i've met i met people that did Kajikembo, left Kajikembo and decided to do something like uh, Bay Muay Thai, and they completely left Kajikembo, or they or they, or they decided to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Uh, Stefan Kesting, Stefan Kesting, he's on our tree, and yeah, he's a Kajikembo guy, and he got to a certain rank in Kajikembo, and eventually decided to say that he wanted to specify in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Now, some people get upset about this kind of stuff, but the way I look at this is. And I interviewed Stefan Kesting. If you want to check out that podcast a long time ago, um, it was before video because it was a while back. But from what I <laughs> from what I gathered out of that interview is, and maybe Stephen Kesting will disagree with me. Kajikembo helped Stephen Kesting find Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Stephen Kesting came from a kung fu background, did not like what was happening at his kung fu school. Felt some of it was a little bit of uh, LARPing, as he put it. And then he got into Kajikembo, where he felt it was a little more real. It might not be the realest, most whatever. Might, might not, it might not be full contact MMA, depending on the Kajikembo you do. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't be. But it was an upgrade from what he was doing before. And because of it, 
he ended up training under Philip Jolinas, who ended up at one point, he had a Brazilian jiu-jitsu program going on and in comes uh, Hall of Famer, the GOAT, as some people would argue. Uh, ah, okay, here, I can remember this guy's name. I can, okay, George St. Pierre. Or GSP. So, yeah, GSP comes into his gym in Canada and he got his purple belt through his Brazilian jiu-jitsu program. Right. And this that same program is the one that Stefan Kesting was in. And eventually Stefan Kesting goes springboards from there and ends up under I forgot. And I'm gonna stop right there before I mess up the name. Because if Stefan Kesting does listen to this, he's like, that's who I trained under. So I'm not gonna say a name, but I am gonna say that because of Kajikambo, it springboarded him into the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world, and now he's really big in that world. Now, again, I I am partial towards Kajukembo, so I'm subjective. I'm not objective about this. But I can say that my experiences in Kajukembo, for me, whether whether you're one of those people that at this point, for whatever reason, do or do not practice Kajukembo, decide to do something else, it is a part of your life that helped you get to that one thing. It'll definitely give you a guidepost because it's such a great... And I'm going, oh shit, we're going to the what is Kajukembo. Okay, I'm going to try to avoid the what is Kajukembo. But... Because of what you said, it's well, we can still be what is Kajikembo as a perspective of ourselves. No, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know. I just, <laughs> I, I know what this conversation can turn into, and I want to go back to the question I have about your journey. So I'm gonna try to wrap this up in like five seconds. So it's like a jet because of its general approach to martial arts and not closing off or snipping off other pathways to go. Um, a lot of people that do Kajikembo do end up jumping into something else. Um. I can concur because okay. after all of our years, um, and, and and I mean, one of the things that I was blessed with when I got my black belt underneath Professor Jeff Magaloloy, and even before I got that black belt, when I was still a brown belt, I got the opportunity to go down to IMB, International Martial Arts Boxing Academy, under, um, under Grandmaster Richard Bustillo, who was not only a Jeet Kune Do guy, not only an Escrima uh, an escadore, not only a really great boxing coach, you know, professional boxing, but he is also a Kajikembo practitioner, and they all intertwine to each other. But one, you know, a lot of I got these blessings to work with these gentlemen at a young age, uh, at a young age, and you know, around 29, 30. Uh, guess who else I got to work with? I have repetitively got to work with Gokor Chevichian one on one. I'm not talking about this large setting. I'm talking about one on one, very intimate setting. Things that people are pay, willing to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for. And I got these opportunities. And let alone Dan Inosanto. And by the way, his slow is our fast. Okay. <laughs> that man is a beautiful, beautiful well of knowledge. And if you got anybody ever gets a chance to go down to LA and work at the Inosanto Academy, take it. Anybody that gets to go to Hyastan Academy, take it. Anybody that gets to go to IMB, Take it. Anybody that even gets to go to the Bay Area and go to the Dragon's Den, take that opportunity, right? But um, with all of that evolution, now we're in a different place. Uh, I'm in a different place of my development. And it's like, I always have to learn. We always have to learn. And so I've decided to go a complete different direction than what I've been practicing. I've practiced the Muay Thai style. I practiced the USA boxing style. I practiced our Kempo style. I've practiced the, you know, the Jeet Kune Do style, the, 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 the thought, the theory of martial arts. 
And now I'm going into the wushu. I'm training in wushu as my practice as a separation because I wanted to learn how to add more longevity to my katas and my movements and not just force for force. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm 41. 42 is right around the corner from me. And I know that doesn't sound like a big age, but from head to toe, the bones take a beating. And you know that's why we make comments about fighting, right? It's a young man's sport. Some of us just can't take that beating and bounce back as fast. No, I, I'm 40, I turned 43. So yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens when you, when you get to 40. Um, before yeah, 40, the warranty, you know, the warranty on our bodies wear off. Yeah, and then it's, it's <laughs> I always say, and it's not about the, it's not about <laughs> the year, it's about the mileage. That's about the mileage. And a lot of us put some miles, you know. And we go backwards <laughs> to what I said about my history, right? Um, you know, I put my body through a huge threshold uh, of heavy mileage in that, you know, teenage to early 20 years, getting into that area. If you, if anybody really wants to like understand what does, what do, what do uh, scheduled drugs actually do to your body? It accelerates the process. That's why you heal. That's why you feel better. But there's a compromise. There's a draw that draw sometimes way more debilitating than the condition. So going back, well, Going back to that moment that you said earlier, I really appreciate you sharing that. I've shared that before. I've shared that in a short YouTube video that I had. Um, I went I went through a phase where, where I was really well. You know, I didn't go heavy, heavy in the like heavy drug usage, but there was a there was a point in my life where I was definitely having issues with substance abuse, and I was more of the functional substance abuser. So I would show up to work. I would get all my responsibilities done, but um, it still didn't mean that at night I wasn't just putting myself through hell pretty much to have a good time, which later wasn't that great of a time. <laughs> but either way, so I know where you're coming from with, with this story that you're talking about. Um, so you decided to come back. You said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make these changes. And, um, and it was, it was for your, for your child. And then you started when you came back, and I guess I never asked you this before you left, as you were working your way through the system, what, what part of the ranking system did you end up on? Like before you took your break? So um, at that time, uh, before, before I, I took my pause, I was directly under my father and my father's standards were not the they were not the easiest to come across. Uh, he he lived in that world of standard, and and I don't I don't have any problem with it, and I think it's probably one of the one of the best values I ever lived with, and I think we need to practice it a little bit more. Was the rank should not be a gift, or it shouldn't be something that the person is is deserving. It should be overdue. It should be to the point that it has to, everybody across the board should be saying, dude, you need to throw that dude up the next rank. And it was a matter of my dad is a perfectionist. My dad is, um, my dad is a tactician. My dad is a historian. And all of those combined make, make the factor of developing uh, my rank. The, 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 the value of that rank was more than what the belt color was if that makes any more sense. 
And so I was a green belt underneath my father. You know, I really wasn't that far from the the black, right? Brown and black was next. And very, very few people can honestly say they've got a black belt from my father. It's just not something that happens often. It's not that's not that's not how he 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 runs. His teaching philosophy is very very concise and it's uh, you know borderline perfectionism that's a blessing and a curse (laughs) but you see the individuals who have grown underneath him they're a different caliber they are a different caliber i'm part of it not fully um professor jeff is a great caliber of an individual directly underneath my father uh his his younger brother sigong jonathan makaloloi he spent the large portion of his training development underneath my father before going to uh and finalizing the next phase with professor jeff but we go back into your question right what rank i was a green belt and then when i came back my my instructor professor jeff and my father and i we established what would be the best course of action professor jeff had the best uh, example he said the best thing to do is to start from the beginning but because you are a green belt in Kaju Kembo underneath Profe- uh, Grandmaster Joseph, he was professor at the time, your rank is honored, but you still need to start from the beginning to start it all over be- to guarantee that your rank and your knowledge and your acumen are in alignment. And I've done that with a few other uh, students that have come to my school too. Uh, we, you know, I think we need to follow protocol still. Um, anybody who is training with somebody else and then comes to me, I need to make a call. Hey, hi, um, hey, I got this student with me. They're they're working. They're, they they moved out this way. I know it's not something that we can they can easily come back to you. Um, do I have your blessing? Can they begin training with me? Here is my protocol of what I plan to do with them. Do you? What do you think about that? Um, I've been blessed that it doesn't. It doesn't have any like resistance from the other individuals uh, and I don't see why it should, but you never know. Right. Some people will be like, no, you can't train that person. And that, 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 that puts me in a real precarious position, but at least I know whether the person agrees with me or not, that this person should keep going. <laughs> um, it, I hope that answers your question on that one. Yeah, no. So yeah, I was just trying to see, cause like I said, a lot of people, I've heard the same situations from other practitioners where they had to start again from white. Like that just that's what happened. Like when they took a break, they came back to another instructor and it really didn't matter. Um, for, in that situation, like they, there was a different instructor and it was a different, it was a different branch of Kajukembo in some cases. Um, in other cases, if it's of another art, this is very common in Kajukembo. It can happen still because of what I said earlier about how different Kajukembo schools have different curriculum. So it's not surprising if you go from one school, let's just throw some names out there. If you go, let's say you're under the Imperato, original Imperato method, and then you decide to jump over, not because you're dojo jumping. Let me make that very clear. This isn't something that like, I don't like my instructor, so I'm going to go under this other guy. Usually what happens is what you just mentioned. The person moves. So they're like doing Imperato method. This happens a lot to Kajakempo guys that are military. They're doing Imperato method in some state and then they get moved to, you know, Hawaii or whatever. And then from there, they continue their training under a different Kajukembo lineage. So it might be like something jumping from 
Imperato to Tumpai method. Let's just throw those as examples out there. The well, Imperato I'm method. under Ramos lineage, so I, I I completely understand. Oh yeah, the Ramos lineage. So like, these are great. Again, for those of you that aren't up with Kajikembo, there's different lineages, and what will happen is between these just three lineages we just mentioned, there will be similar curriculum and some other curriculum that's completely different. And the way I like to think of it is you're ordering the same drink from the same bartender, but each one tastes a little different. Yeah. And then on top of that, the requirements to make that drink will be different. So let's say one, one bartender likes to use, I don't know why we're using drinks as an example, but we're we're already going there. So let's go there. (laughs) You decide to throw in a, a lime with your with a lime and some mint, right? <clears throat> with only uh, an eighth uh, of rum and some Coca-Cola, and you're calling that a mojito. Or let's say you're going to change it. You're going to say, I don't want the lime. I just want some Coke. I just want it straight, just a little bit of Coke and a little bit of rum. Or I want half. This will dramatically change the taste of your drink, and it'll also dramatically change the way you approach your martial art. But it's um, still the same drink. It's still the same drink. So, like, what happens here? in this situation is some people do choose to start the student again at white and and it happens and people are okay with this well, some are some aren't but that'll happen so i was just trying to see in your journey how that happened so you did if i understood you correctly uh you ended up coming back under jeff Makalolo. oh boy last name please <laughs> Makaloloi. nice there it is his son is actually fighting his seventh professional boxing match tonight Nice. I, I wish him the best. Um, so you went under under Professor Jeff, and you went. He honored your green belt, but he started you off on the white belt curriculum. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, white to uh, white. Well, you know, basically the adult curriculum, well, white yeah. to purple, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. He's, so he started teaching you the white belt curriculum, and here's another thing that happens. You said you left when you were like 15, 16. You came back when you were like 26. Is that right? Yeah, there's like a 20, there's like a 10 year gap, 11 year gap there. Yeah. Yes. And here's another thing that happens that's very, I, this happens in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu too, by the way. And this happens in MMA as well, like MMA gyms. Um, MMA gyms don't have ranking systems. I'm not, it's another podcast that I've done. Check it out. Uh, I'm not gonna put a thing. Just please go to the playlists. Uh, I talk this. I talk about this a lot with uh, Chuck Liddell's coach, um, John Hackleman. We talk a lot about what happens with MMA gyms and no belt systems and how that works. But if you let's just take an, an MMA gym as an example. If you leave an MMA gym ten years, you come back ten years later. Whatever you were training will some parts will be. You'll still have the grappling and the striking and the mitt training, but your defenses and your strategies are going to be completely different. Because if you watch, if you're an MMA, if you're an MMA practitioner or an MMA fan, let's say you're just watching this podcast because you're an MMA fan. You're not actually a martial artist, which happens quite a bit lately with YouTube. Um, you know, you know that the UFC has drastically changed in 10 years. And the fighters, right? The kind of people we see when we when we think about fighters like uh Anderson Silva and we think now with our with our new with the new fighters that are coming up, like Izzy Asanya, like we can say they're a little bit similar, but at the same time, some of these the things that they're doing now in the UFC, these young fighters are doing some stuff that we never thought would ever would be possible. Like I've seen guys doing backflips, like they're doing stuff that we that were not being done ten years ago. 
So in Kajikambo, it's very similar. Like your school will have the core curriculum. It'll have its thing. But because we're always being pushed to evolve in 10 years, there's going to be some things that are going to change. And then if you change instructors on top of that, on top of the fact that there's a different instructor and those 10 years went by. Yeah. So a lot of stuff can happen in that time period. So you went in there, you got there, you got to, you, you, you honored, they honored your green. Eventually you got to your, to the green, level, the green belt level. What was your black belt test like? Um, Obviously, I, I was going to ask you another question, but you kind of already answered it. I was going to say, when did you make Kajikembo your own? And I want to say, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, please answer it And after I'm done saying this. But it sounds like it's when you made Kajikembo your own is when you made that decision. You said, I'm coming back. I'm putting this old life behind me. I want to be a better person for my for my daughter. And I'm going to start again. And it sounds, if I'm not mistaken, like that's when you kind of made that decision. I'm going to make Kajikembo mine. Like, is that right? Exactly. That's the point. Um, we, we, you can trail it back to your original statement that you have some people who come into that, the world where they're either by choice or by, uh, by birth, by birthright. And we reached that precipice where my birthright was, it just wasn't sufficing. I had these weird life explorations that were conflicting with that as well. Drugs were part of it. Um puberty going through high school new life changes that's why any of the young individuals who do manifest from the beginning of their journey at that age you know six seven eight whatever all the way up to the early early double digits <clears throat> and they grow to become a black belt through their teen years and become a black belt at 18 that, that that's a huge endeavor that's a huge endeavor that means they went through high school, puberty, uh, whether they're boys or girls, multiple relationship, un uh, trying to understanding that life, <laughs> um, obligations of school, right? Family obligations. And then on top of that, now we're adding this martial art, right? Th these are like seven things and you only got seven days in a week. You do Kajikembo twice a week, great. You got high school, five of those days right? You got family every day. <laughs> so it's very understanding when we see these individuals, why some of them drop out around that teen years. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, it was, it was night and day. It was very different from the craft that my father taught me to the craft that had manifested in 10 years of Kajukembo. And it was really leaning into what Sijo promoted for a lot of us that it needs to change. It has to evolve. And if it doesn't evolve, it's no longer relevant. And if it's not relevant, it's not self-defense. And this can, to me, that this is just my opinion. And if anybody wants to refute it, uh, I, I'm I'm always down for a healthy dialogue for for that kind of stuff. So, anyway, I'm not I'm not I'm not refuting like. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm not refuting you. I gotta, I don't argue with my guests. So like, <laughs> I might tell you what I think, but that's about it. And, and again, like, yeah, it should be. It should always be grounded in self-defense. It should always be grounded in a realistic application of self-defense, as in realistic as possible. In, 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 in my right. Opinion. Um. 
So you, so I was, so, okay, so I, I did nail that. So, uh, so you were, I was, I was correct in, in that assumption earlier about making Kaji come to your own. When you came forward and this, and it, as you move forward and the time came for that black belt test, what was going on? Like, wh what were you thinking? How, what were you going through? And how did that test turn out for you? Wow. Uh, emotions up the wazoo. <laughs> that, that's the first part um, for, for the fact that what it was, right? Um, it was <laughs> um, my instructor has always been my big brother. And that is not that is not a um, nomaker or it's he's literally been there since the day I was born. He has been my big brother. Um, when I've ever needed him, he's been there. Uh, he has had my back from left and right. And to get my to get to get a hug from him the day that I had earned my black belt that that was that was that that was that that the, there was no control of the emotions that was one um my grandfather he whipped me with his belt not mine yeah i bawled like a like a like a five-year-old child i cried but oddly enough and if you ever if you want to uh, i'll send you the picture but there's a picture of me getting whipped with my belt by my dad and there is so much passion in his whipping but like his face is just and he's just going at it there is nothing but calm because the 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 pinnacle the the, the, the that point of that moment was we did it we did it. Nothing can hurt us in this moment. I don't feel that. I mean, obviously I felt it, but you know what I mean? I didn't feel any bit of that whipping because it was, it was the last one. So I knew that after this, that's my belt. That's my belt. But the test, if anybody has ever gotten a chance and is, is, is wanting to get a, a curiosity of what it takes to be a black belt, at the Dragon's Den and or any annex of the Dragon's Den, it's not a um, it's a very structured system uh, that that Professor Jeff has, has emulated. And um, as an annex or a, a daughter school to the Dragon's Den, my school, we, we practice those same philosophies and ideologies. The person who gets that black belt has to both be physical mentally and spiritually you know our holy trinity capable of accepting that belt by their knowledge their conditioning and their heart it's a long test the curriculum that that, that you know has been manifesting from there and obviously you know i've added my own pieces in with my school but the root is still from the dragon's den and then obviously from my dad but the test itself it's very egregious. You know, you're anywhere from three and a half to four hours, uh, complete demonstration of all of the entire curriculum. And not to mention, you still got to throw down against, uh, you know, some, a few guys. And there was a good time. There was a good uh, window of time when I was 
one of the main instructors at the Dragon's Den, where I was kind of one of the final guys you fought. Uh, you know, in, in a way, and this is the way I felt, I was one of the gatekeepers. You know, if you want that black, you need to make sure that you don't give up. And my job is to press you to that point that you would possibly want to give up. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to hurt you or break anything or send you to the hospital. I'm going to press your heart because the number one thing that we really should be asking of any self-defense practitioner. Now we're kind of moving away from martial arts. Self-defense practitioner is, are you going to have enough heart to keep going when the odds are against you, when the playing field is against you and you have a family at home waiting for you? So looking at that, and again, like I said, I said earlier, it's different for everyone. In, in your case, you went through a, a lot of Kaju Kimball guys go through, but there was this added layer of accepting your position in life. I guess it could be said. Or my birthright. Your birthright, accepting it, right? There's a, there's a thing like there's a birthright that, and it, there's, a, there's always this point where, and that, that's what was like when you, were, when you were explaining like how everyone was promoting you, your instructor was like your brother. They These are people you've known your whole life. So this is an added layer. The black belt test is already not easy for, for people that don't know anyone. It's already not easy, but um, it's for it to all be your family. And to have, um, oh yeah, expectation. You know, <laughs> the expectation. It, it's it's a it's a big moment, right? So you got through that, and and I want, and we're getting close to the wrap up here. But what I want to thank you for before we get to that wrap up is being very candid about your teenagers. I because I've, I've been through that, and I've said it before. And I always tell people that and I've had guests that have had similar experiences, but they don't want to talk about it because of, you know, they, they, they have a new life now and they, they feel like reflecting on that would not be something they want to do, which I respect. But we're not the only ones. So it'd be, it'd be really easy for us to throw out. And this is why I think it's so normally it's for the wrap up. I don't, I don't do what I'm about to do right here, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, It'd be very easy to make it look like we are fucking invincible and that we led these perfect lives and we did martial arts and, oh, you know, the stereotype of martial arts is, is integrity and honor and all this other stuff, right? And so, therefore, if you do martial arts, you must be this really honorable person that never made any mistakes. It'd be very easy to fall into this trap. And it'd be very easy to sell you this and tell you that if you do martial arts, you're not going to make mistakes. And that would be, a, I'm sorry, I don't know if you're going to agree, I'm going to say this. That'd be a fucking lie. It's a huge lie. <laughs> because, I mean, and, and the whole point of honor and integrity, I mean, let's rewind. And I'm sorry, we're going to go back into what is Kaju Kembo, but let's just say it. Our founders were the bad guys. They were the bullies. They said, hey, hey, we can break people's arms. Let's go see if it works. But, but but when we look at them in their uh, in their foreshadowing of all, all of that manifestation, they learn 
from their mistakes. And in all honesty, integrity, honor, discipline, accountability, respect, those are done out of practice. They're not something that's instilled in a person. They're not something, honestly, let's just be, let's just 100% throw it out there. This is probably going to, going to, going to deep, uh, going to horribly ruin any of those McDojos out there. You cannot teach discipline. You cannot teach accountability. You cannot teach honor and you cannot teach integrity, but you can create the environments that those life traits can flourish or begin to nurture to become the flower. That is what we do as martial artists and martial arts instructors is we create the environments as closely as possible, right? For those individuals to have an understanding of what those values feel like because those are not inherent traits. If they were, we would never need martial arts. And this goes with, um, you know, I was watching the uh, George Foreman, the George Foreman movie. Great movie. Hey, movie. You ever seen it? That's on my, that's on my queue. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone. But there was a point in George Foreman's life where a young man asked him to train him and George Foreman retired from boxing and decided to become a preacher. And he retired from boxing because he felt it was a violent life that he led and he wanted to change as a person. And he changed. He found this change, this really great positive change in his life. I'm not a, re- I'm not a very religious person, but I respect that. And he started preaching. And while preaching, he got approached by this young man asking him to train him in boxing. It was not, not him. His, uh, one of his family members asked him. And he said, you know, just find God. That's what you need. You don't need boxing. You need God. And then later this young man got into a lot of trouble and ended up getting arrested. And this was the inspiration for Foreman to open his community center and start teaching boxing again. He says later in the film, and it made <laughs> I'm getting teary because I, I think about it because I, I was that young man. That's why for me, like, I can totally see like I said, I didn't come from a, from a place where I was in martial arts my whole life. But it was really powerful for him to see that. He said, I came to that young man where I am now and not where he was at that moment. Right? It can be very easy for us. People, I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. It can be very easy for me now to meet a young man the way I was at that point and be like, what you need is A, B, C, or D. And not come down and remember, dude, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was once that young man, right? So it, it can be, it, it's a great, I think it's awesome that you that you said it because I really hope anybody who's watching right now who might be going through whatever, maybe they're watching this podcast and they're sitting at, on YouTube and they're on that break or they're on, that, they're on that, that path that seems like there's no way back, there's no redemption, there's no, there's no way to your old life. And there might not be a way back to your old life, but it doesn't mean that you're shut out to a new one. And I think that's why it's really great that you shared that. And it gave me the opportunity to share the same. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like I had a very similar experience and it doesn't mean who you are, especially between the ages of, oh boy, psychological. When I study psychology, that's, that's what I ended up getting into. Between the ages of, you know, the double digits, like you said, from 12 to 25, 
It's not a coincidence that around 26, that's not a coincidence. Statistically speaking and psychologically speaking, your brain is developing its prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain for reasoning. And young men tend to develop this slower <laughs> than, than women. <laughs> it's, it's just what happens. Um, and substance abuse doesn't help any of this. And it's so easily available. Yeah. Which, which of course that doesn't help it as much as well. Um, and, and I, and it really falls into that ideology, right? Of nothing changes if nothing changes. And as our brains continue to change, we have to follow in suit. You're going to be forced to do it either way, whether you want to change for the better or you're going to be forced to change for the worse. But something is always going to change. Yeah. And it's not going to be perfect. I think that's if you're watching this and you've stuck around this long and you're, and you're the kind of person that I was, it's not going to be perfect. It's not linear. There's going to be ups and downs, but um, I don't know. I just hope that after hearing this podcast, <laughs> I don't know what podcast is only one podcast, but I, I hope you just know that you're not alone in this. You're not the only person who's gone through it. There's millions of people who've gone through it and got out on the other side and it turned out okay. And you can be too. Um, Joseph, it takes a village. It takes a family. It takes a group. You're not alone. If I can throw out a quick disclaimer, um, oh. for those of you, if you are in that boat, if you're in this place that you're feeling your heart is, is missing, it's incomplete. You feel chemically imbalanced and you, you want don't ever hesitate to uh, to find someone to reach out. There's tons of organizations out there. Um, I, I, I can vouch for one. Celebrate Recovery is probably one of the best places if you ever can look into any of those uh, organizations. They are celebrating you in recovery. That's one of the most beautiful things that you can do. Instead of, you know, standing up to the original alcoholic and even uh, Narcotics Anonymous, you know, hey, uh, my name is Joseph. I'm an addict versus my name is joseph i'm recovering as an addict and every day is a beautiful new day now i don't think we deviated from the topic i'm that's why i said i'm glad you brought that up because i've been wanting to bring some that topic up for a while now and thanks to your bravery to come out there and say it it finally allowed me to come out and and cover this topic um a little bit i've Covered, uh, yeah, no, this is the first time we actually got to cover subs. I got to cover this with a guest because I've covered this by myself before. Um, but before we finish up, before we wrap up, um, you kind of already answered the question I wasn't because I always like to ask the last question for the wrap up. So what we're gonna do for your for your wrap up is okay, yeah, because you know a lot of folks, and I know you're gonna probably want to do this anyway. So who do you want to make a shout out to and who do you want to thank and and all that stuff? And at and at the very end, um please tell us about the program you have now and where people can contact you. Um three big shout outs. Uh first one big shout out to my mom. You know, without her and her passion of, of the individual that she is and meeting my dad and you know i wouldn't be talking to any of you guys right now uh second one 
And actually, my three shout outs are for individuals that are no longer on this plane. Second shout out is to my boy, Sifu Nico. Love him. Always will. One of the best men I've ever had in my life as a friend, as, an, as a fellow instructor, as a fellow kaju. At the end of the day, he was just a damn good human being. And lastly, this is a, of a recent condition. Um, the Dragon's Den itself and, and the community of the martial arts, we lost a, a really dear friend of ours named Cruz Steve Delferio. Uh, Delferio. He, uh, he was a Muay Thai, a very, very well-accomplished Muay Thai fighter. He trained with uh, Grandmaster Ted Satello directly. Grandmaster Ted Satello was one of his cornermen, uh, ringmen, and uh, we recently, he passed away. And, uh, you know, just big shout out to those those three individuals that have been super critical in my life that are no longer here. A big shout out to my dad and my grandfather for, you know, bringing the tradition on and and my big brother, Maquia, Professor Jeff Makololoi for helping be an integral part of me carrying on, well, you know, some places that I felt. He, he's been my biggest confidant. There's been a lot of times that I'm like, I don't want to deal with this shit. And he goes, he would just, just talk to me, not telling me what to do, not telling me what I need to do. Just talk to me. And where can people find your, your gym and your program? Um, and how, what's the best way to contact you? So we're located in Chandler, Arizona. If you guys are anywhere near Chandler, Arizona, and if any of you are California natives um, and you are in Scottsdale, Phoenix, we are still closer than any freeway in California. <laughs> um, we're located in Chandler on Pecos and McQueen at 950 East Pecos Road. If you guys want to check us out online, we are at www.mma chandler.com all right and just to save me some time because i don't like i told you earlier off camera www dot one more time mma chandler.com com okay so here it is you can we'll do this together here. <laughs> there you go all right mma uh oh, uh oh, here we go. Here we go. I better not find any porn. I'll have to take it off you YouTube. Not. If it goes. <laughs> there we go. Better, and I was blessed I, enough. I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't misspell that in some weird. <laughs> um, what I love about this website is actually that picture right there. That is actually me and my dad. Oh, that's awesome. So that's you right yeah. there, and there's your dad right there. Cool. Yeah. So for for those of you watching. For those of you listening, it's MMA Chandler C H A N D L E R dot com. And then for those of you watching, you saw it. Um, as long as you spell it right, it takes you straight to the website. Um <laughs> I took a risk. <laughs> I took a huge risk there. <laughs> and usually MMA and Chad no, Chandler is the one that would probably get me in trouble. But <laughs> so yeah, there it is. And luckily I don't have to pull us off YouTube because of my mistakes. Now <laughs> Hey brother, thank you so much for coming out and being so sharing your story. Um, for those of you watching, this is the Social Jello with Angelo podcast. I try to release at least one of these a month. Sometimes I release more. Please don't expect more because I usually tell you that I will release one a month. <laughs> um, make sure to check out uh Sifu. Is it Sifu? Yes. Okay. 
make sure to check out Sifu Joseph's uh, uh, program if you have a chance. Um, if you're a Kajukimo practitioner, I encourage you to visit other Kajukimo practitioners. I live all the way in Japan. Whenever I go back to California, I try to visit as many schools as I can. They are very- Well, I'm gonna have to make a trip out to Japan. You're more than welcome to. John Hoylo yeah, School is about it, two hours from my place, so yeah. It's on the docket. I, I, I want to make my way out there. Yeah, it's open too, so yeah. it's There was a weird stuff happened in 2023, 2022, but it's all past that now, so yeah. Come on down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. Catch you next time. Oosh.